The next general election is all but decided. Don't worry, pack your bags, put your feet up. It's a Labour majority. Or is it? Welcome to the Live Dem podcast. Hello and welcome back to our another episode of the Lib Dem podcast. My name is John Potter. I produce this wonderful little exploration into liberalism. And joining me today, we're going to talk all about Labour. We're going to talk all about the huge poll of them. Is it real? Will it last? What do Labour have to do to get a majority? And will do we think they're going to get a majority? So joining us, we have two of our favourite regulars. We have Hannah Kitchen and David McKenzie. Hello, Hannah, first of all. Morning, John. Talking about Labour on a Sunday morning, my absolute favourite way to spend a weekend. Absolutely. What, what what better way to start your Sunday? And David, welcome. How are you doing, sir? I'm good, John. Nice to be back after a little while away. I know, I know. It's, um, we, we've missed you greatly, David, to be honest. But now, so since you were last on, David, the world has kind of changed in terms of the Tories have decided that uh, uh, to destroy themselves, which is always fun. But the question we're we're all thinking, and what the polls well, not just themselves, the pound as well. Yes, yeah, that's true, and our mortgages, which is which is all wonderful. Um, is does will this last? Will Labour come on? And so we're going to talk a little bit about the difference between what the polling says and what focus groups are saying, because they are two very different things. And we'll talk about focus groups are could be a snapshot of what the government is. While the focus groups, sorry, are going to tell us why they think that way, and I think this is a really important. Um, distinction we've got to make while campaigning but first of all David because you haven't been on let's just get let's get the easy question out of the way do you think Labour will get a majority at the next general election I'm still to be frank I'm still undecided about that question I don't know whether it will be a Labour majority or a a massive increase in Labour's parliamentary representation but just shy of a majority I think we could actually see a sort of reverse 2010 result where Labour is the largest party, but they, they themselves cannot form a majority government. However, you know, we'll probably get into this. There's still a long way to go and things could rapidly change one way or the other. Um, we've seen, obviously, the Prime Minister's now trying to set her clear blue water between what she stands for and what Labour stands for. And I suppose we are part of the anti-growth coalition that she's uh, she's thought up that, you know, that's what voters on the doorstep are talking about this anti-growth coalition non-stop non-stop they come up to me and say anti-growth coalition you're one of them you know and and, <laughs> and and brand me with hot irons um but now hannah i suppose from um i'm gonna ask you the same question do we think labor will get a majority i think it's important just to let listeners know how many seats they need to win to get a majority because it, 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 remember that the Corbyn 2019 result was the worst since the mid-1930s. They have a massive... They need to win 123 seats, and not lose any, but win 123 seats to get a majority of one. So, Hannah, is that doable? Uh, no. No, I, I, st- I still don't think that Labour are going to win a majority uh, at the next general election. I don't think they would win a majority if that was tomorrow. You know, despite what though, despite what that polling says, and you know, I mean, goodness me, how, how long have we had this new prime minister? A, a month. Yeah, it's a month a, today, I think. It might be. A, very, you know, a month is a very long time in politics. I think. Um, I mean, I, I've been sort of fairly firmly team early general election. Um, I take I take it all back. Always happy to admit when I'm wrong. There's absolutely no way Liz Truss is going to call a general election at the minute. I mean, she's. I don't. I you don't can like swear. To use it's a word. Sunday morning, but no, well, I, no, swear. Not that John. I don't I, I I really dislike using the word mad as a as a yeah. pejorative because it's ableist. But she is, you know, clearly not in full charge of, of what she is doing. But I, I don't think she is reckless enough. Um I don't think she's reckless enough to call a general election. And it's it's an you know, it's an extremely long time. I am no I'm no electoral maths uh, geek. That is certainly not my skill set. But you know, the numbers that you've laid out there John you know just make it make it really obvious what a massive massive hill there is to climb you know Labour types have been saying this but what that the majority that Johnson got in 2019 they've been saying you know it's that's not a one election job to turn over that that's a two election job to turn over um it is oh I I can't believe I'm going to say this it is good to see (laughs) Labour finally coming up in the polls 
because we were starting to get to the point where we were saying, what what do the Tories have to do? You know, what does Johnson have to do to actually, you know, sink down sink down in the poll ratings well the answer is resign and put Liz Truss in <laughs> it, it is really spectacular you know I, I didn't think it could get any worse than the Boris Johnson government and they've I mean they've absolutely excelled themselves and um, it's interesting can I just pick up on something you just said though because what you just said about Labour going up in the polls and actually if you look into the polling data it's more the fact the Tories have collapsed rather than Labour have shot up okay. now there's been a bit I mean, of gone. I mean, yeah, looking in detail at polling data is 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 really not oh, how I roll <laughs> on. So I'm really grateful for pointing that out. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you're right. They've plummeted, and but but there's a point there which is, you know, it, come on, Keir Starmer is Keir Starmer really doing what he needs to do in order to gain a majority? You know, there are obviously seats that are just simply going to fall back to Labour. You know, some of those bellwether seats. Um, you know, the ones locally that, that jump out uh, a high peak, which is always a, a bellwether. Um, Cong Valley is similar. Places like Britain. Burnley, which have switched every election for the, pretty yeah. much the last four elections. Yeah, like, you know, Dewsbury went, went, uh, went blue last time, which was astounding and, and not by a huge amount. You know, a lot of those kind of seats, I think, will, will fairly obviously and, and fairly, you know, I would be fairly confident if I was the Labour Party in those seats that without any particular effort, they'll go back. But a, a couple of things happen when when people get carried away with poll numbers. Um, you know, we've seen it with ourselves. Hello, 2019 general election. And when Labour start, there was there were some absolutely ridiculous predictions last week, um, conferences, and I think, I think got to them and they were just brimming with hubris and like their own self-importance and what starts happening when Labour get arrogant like that is they start thinking they can win everywhere and you know Labour are not going to win across Devon and Cornwall they're just they're just not going to it's it's not going to happen those seats that were not Labour at the height of Tony Blair's popularity they're not going to go Labour under under Keir Starmer they're just not but what Labour can do if they get too arrogant and full of themselves fail to target their efforts properly is they'll go barreling into seats that we can where we can win where we're in a strong second and we can beat the Tories we've seen them do it before right have spite because they'd rather the Tories win than we do and if these ratings stay too high they'll do it out of arrogance because they they will think they can win everywhere they won't get enough votes to win but they'll get enough to you know, basically fuck up our squeeze and make sure that, that we don't and the Tories do. And that behaviour in itself could be enough to keep them off a majority. And then there's the Scotland question, which I'm in no way qualified to answer when David McKenzie is on the court. And, and we're going we're, we're gonna to get on to it. We are going to get on to Scotland. But it is interesting because we had Alison Bennett, who is one of our podcast regulars. She uh, And we had this discussion on our, our WhatsApp group. So she is the uh, opposition leader in Mid-Sussex. And um, the, the those electoral calculations that were showing Labour getting nearly 500 seats also had Labour winning Mid-Sussex. And to put that in context, they don't have a single councillor. They don't have any sort of activist base, money or infrastructure to do it. Yet I expect that then these kind of oversimplistic calculations says, oh, well, yeah, if you only need an X amount of swing for Labour to do this, it's going to do it. When actually we all know, because we're campaigners, you've got to do the ground war as well. You're not just going to win it. Uh, Hannah wants to come back in, David, and I'll bring you back in to talk about red wall stuff. Yeah, I mean, I I think it is important to remember that Labour don't have to do the same hard lines as we do. Yeah. No, we we know that we we cannot win MPs in areas where we have, you know, we have no no councillors, where we have no local government base, where, where we have no campaigning base. That's just not possible for us. Whereas both Labour and the Conservatives can, you know. So to, to give an example um, of my constituency, um, Penniston and Stocksbridge. So that was obviously Labour. It was obviously Angela Smith, who people may recall. Um, and that went Conservative in 2019. Now, at that point, the Conservatives had three three councillors. So they have three councillors in the ward adjacent to mine, Penniston East. They've always had three councillors in that ward. We had them, we had and still have the most councillors in Penniston and Stocksbridge. And that does not translate, did not translate to parliamentary success for us. The Conservatives won that seat 
without gaining a single counsellor. And I've only gained one since. I might have got my numbers a bit more. They've gained one, but they're, they're not really making those inroads. And now we've got a, so the Labour Party have selected a new parliamentary candidate, which is good because the last one was a bit of a Jeremy Corbyn fan. Um, and I was, re- you know, she looked, because I hate Miriam Cates, John. The, the, <laughs> and I know that that's on record. She is a homophobe. She is a transphobe. You know, she is, she's, she's coming after LGBT plus people. She's taking women down with, she's just the worst type of bigoted Tory MP, as well as voting with the whip and, and being a Johnson puppet. But this Labour candidate, she doesn't have a clue what she's doing. She's, she's acting like she's trying to become a councillor in Peniston. Now, newsflash. Peniston's got three Liberal Democrat councillors. I was re-elected this year with the biggest majority on the councillor. Labour come third or fourth in my ward. She's not going to become a councillor in Peniston. And she does not need to become a councillor in Peniston to take on Miriam Cates. She's every post I see on Facebook, she's faffing around with the double yellow lines outside the co-op in Peniston. Oh my God. It's like you know, the worst Tory government in living memory. And... It sounds amazing. I think, so. you know, she's, she's right up my street, that. Yeah, land a bloody blow on what's happening at national level, yeah, for exactly. God's sake. Yeah. You've, got, you've, got, you've got three Tory councillors in the adjacent ward. Labour came the closest to winning that ward last May that they've ever come. If you want to, if you want to get a councillor elected, go and campaign in that ward. You know, Miriam, she's no idiot. She has pork-barreled Stocksbridge to within an inch of her life. And she has done the maths. There is one ward that Miriam needs to keep blue in order to keep that constituency conservative, even if it's only by a sliver. The Labour need to get in there and fight her in Stocksbridge, faffing around with, you know, local government issues in Peniston. It's not it, but she thinks she needs to be us first. I think we could have a whole episode on on clueless Labour campaigning. But David, I suppose the, the point we're talking about and the wider point is, do Labour have to do much to win? Is the, I suppose is the word. Can they win seats where they they're absolutely clueless or have no hope? So, like, the, there's a couple of things that I just wanted to pick up on that obviously uh, Hannah discussed, and um, and I kind of agree in that I I originally thought Keir Starmer would be sort of this generation's Neil Kinnock. Mm. He was not going to be prime minister, but he'd be the Labour leader that would take them through the getting away from the Corbyn era and getting them back to being electable again. Um, now he's kind of landed on his feet a little bit, and that the Tories have uh, have. You know, and I think Hannah as well, for lack of a better word, of, of putting somebody who's a bit mad in Liz Truss. Um, but I don't use it in that terminology. I use it in the sort of what she's done. Um, the, but what I would say about, from my perspective of looking at Labour, and obviously, you know, for anybody who doesn't know, obviously I used to be in the Labour Party. I'm still connected to a lot of people who are in the Labour Party. So I don't, I don't actively hate the Labour Party, but I, I, I do dislike some of the things that they're doing in this current term and that, it frustrates me that the way that I see them gearing themselves up for electoral success for the next, you know, two, three parliamentary terms, they're not doing. Um, mm. So they seem to be still in this mindset that they have to sort of bend the knee a little bit to where the Tories are trying to take politics in the UK. So we see again things about immigration and Labour again doesn't want to doesn't want to take the view that when people say. You know, I, my view is always when people say I have concerns about immigration, that's not an indicator to say absolutely we'll stop immigration. It's let me address your concerns about immigration and why it's a good thing for this country. And that used to be, in my opinion, where Labour sat and they've now gone and drifted in the other way of the sort of controls on immigration mug from, you know, uh, from 2015. Um, so there's there's things that I could see really harming them down the line, um, especially with young voters that I don't think that sort of message will ring true towards them. And although they need to win back red wall seats, um, where obviously there was a massive shift towards Conservative Party politics, I still think there's an active element of um, a lot of the people who gave their vote to the Tories the last time around, I don't know if they'd come out to vote this time. And Mm. And I mean that in terms of a... I think they would go, do you know what? As you kind of said, John, there's not been a massive bump for Labour. I can't vote for Liz Truss. There's no sort of UKIP Brexity party option that's a real option for me anymore. I'll just stay at home. 
And that could actually be what lets Labour come through in some of those seats. Yeah, and I think that's a really important point when you look at those polling. So the, the poll kind of 2019 switches. So the people that had been Labour and gone to Tory and they've polled what percentage of them are now going to come back to Labour and it's only about 19%. So you get, they haven't yet. So the Tories are absolutely shafting themselves, but their, their unpopularity doesn't mean people like the Labour Party. And that's what Labour's got to do. If they're going to get a majority, they have to get people to like them. And then this brings into that distinction we talked about at the top, about the polling numbers versus what the focus groups are saying. And I, there's been some brilliant focus groups over the last few days. One's all the Newsnight, um, the Times Red Box one, uh, the News Agents podcast have all had their own kind of things. And still, and one of the things that's been consistent for right the way through Johnson, right the way through COVID and everything else, is people aren't particularly warm to Keir Starmer. They think he's shifty. All these things come up. He will just say whatever. That Captain Hindsight thing that Boris came up with him really struck with people and has stuck with people. And so my issue is, as we get closer to an election and it becomes very much, uh, who do you want to see as Prime Minister? They might not like Liz Truss, but if they don't like Keir Starmer enough, they might not switch to him. Hello, John from the Lib Dem podcast here. We are delighted to say that this episode is sponsored by Prater Reigns. Now more than ever, you need a professional-looking online presence and website. Prater Reigns have been helping Liberal Democrat campaigns succeed for 18 years. Their Lib Dem foci package combines a website, social media and email system to help Lib Dems win. You'll receive great support from real people, fair pricing and a huge range of features to choose from. Prater Reigns are already the bespoke developers for Lighthouse, Lib Dem Draw Online and the LD Directory. They combine a talented system design with an unrivaled understanding of our party, our data and our systems. To find out more, check out the Prater Reigns website at praterreigns.co.uk slash liberal-democrats. So last night, um, for those I don't know, I went to see the Rest is Politics podcast live, which was a good fun night because it was in uh, Blackpool. And Rory Stewart was very much saying, the Tories are toast, Labour majority, absolutely certain, Liz Truss is gone. And Alistair Campbell was very notably did not say he thought Labour would get a majority. He talked about how he's, how he's been really good at predicting previous results. He predicted 92. He knew 97, didn't think it'd be as big as what it was, was in the end, but knew it was coming. He also said he put a bet on the 2010 result as well. He wouldn't say how much he won or, or who it was with, um, but he he distinctly did not claim that he thought Labour were, were a shoo-in to get a majority, because I think that's their big weakness is at the moment, Keir Starmer is almost, I've said this in the past for, for a couple of years, Keir Starmer is almost in the sweet spot for Lib Dems. He doesn't terrify moderate Tories. He doesn't excite people enough to screw us over. Now, I think, but there's still a job, and we'll talk about what the Lib Dems have got to do on the ground regarding Labour's messaging and how we have to protect ourselves and opportunities we have. Um, but I'm interested with you, David, do you think on a Keir Starmer level, do you think... Because they say you've got connections with the Labour Party from your family and your dad and everything else. Um, what is the impression of Keir Starmer? I mean, all the talk of him being replaced, I think, is gone. That I mean, I don't think anything other than other than the mad Corbynites, that that's gone. But there must be still concerns that Keir Starmer isn't resonating with the general public. Well, there's kind of there's there's an element of I kind of view Keir Starmer in the light that I viewed Joe Biden against Donald Trump, and that he's you know he's he's not. He's not terrifying, um, which is kind of a, a bonus win for them. Because, look, when you've got somebody like Liz Truss, who's prime minister, people kind of look at the calm, non-terrifying element of Keir Starmer, who's, you know, for lack of a better term, a bit boring. Um, but sometimes boring can be good, can be yeah. a good thing. I mean, John Especially Major won. Since his last few years, I'm happy yeah. for a bit of boring. Yeah, well, John Major won on boring. You know, I mean, it's uh, sometimes people want a bit of boring. Um, I think you're right, Luke. There's there's absolutely no talk apart from the you know the 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 most leftist wings of the Labour Party about getting rid of Keir Starmer now. I think there's been a people have really rallied round him and they can see that he's making gains. I think with Keir, I always try a little bit to give him the benefit of the doubt because you know people forget he's still only been in Parliament what 
two, three terms. Um, and even at that, that's t- three terms where it's not been a full length of parliament. Seven um, years, isn't it? That's always yeah, 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 yeah. So he's he's literally he's come through it such a, a, a you know a, a monumental rate. Now, Labour, they've they've managed to get themselves into a position where the front bench, etc., that he's built around them does have some very able people who have been in government before, which we know is um, is always a benefit, having people that know the ropes and can talk candidly about how when Labour's in power, they'd be able to do X, Y, and Z and how quickly they'd be able to implement that. But um, I think from the Keir Starmer element, look, he's, I don't think he's ever going to excite people in the way a Tony Blair did, mm. but he can maybe gain people off the back that they're not worried about him. And I think that's where Labour before, people were really, really, really worried about what a Jeremy Corbyn Labour Party would mean for the, the country. And he's not going to do that. And he screwed over the Lib Dems, Corbyn, by being so toxic to so many people. And it is interesting. Again, you've just reminded me, actually, something Alistair Campbell said last night on the, on the, the show was, you know, he, he, he said, look, Keir Starmer is not Tony Blair. He's not Bill Clinton. And it's not Barack Obama. He doesn't have that punch. And for me, I mean, I didn't answer the, the question at the start of the thing about majority. I don't think Labour will get that majority. I think it's too much of a mountain to climb for someone who isn't of that ilk to really... Because do, do we think Labour's going to take vast amount of seats down south? I just, I just don't know, and it just, it just doesn't ring true for me. So, let, but we'll get on to where we think what Lib Dems can do and opportunities for squeeze and switch voters, and we'll explain what they are in a second. But I just want to kind of talk a little bit because we said we needed a hundred. That's a we. I'm not, I'm not a Labour Party member. Um, no, so they need uh, 123 <laughs> seats to win. So let's just go through some of the things they have to do. So there's around 41 mostly red wall seats that since 2015 have drifted away. So that you, what Hannah was saying before, you'd expect a lot of them to probably come home to Labour. I think that's you know we'll see we'll see what happens with them, but you would expect them to get a sizable chunk. Scotland's a big one for me now. For Scot, I, I always thought that I think it's very mathematically difficult for Labour to win without significant gains in Scotland. So the numbers are, and uh, Hannah, you, you, you are entitled to an opinion in this, even though it's Scottish politics, you are entitled to it. Don't, don't be scared by David. No, you're not. <laughs> uh, is that, so there are 17 SNP seats with majorities of under 4,000 to Labour. And that obviously is they're going to be those targets. Now, I don't know the shift in polling in Scotland and the and, and the shift in Labour enthusiasm in Scotland is good enough to how many of those seats are that Labour able to take. But, don't, but that's only, I mean, before, what, how many Scottish seats did Labour have before 2014, uh, David? You'll probably know, it's probably mid-40s, was it, or something like that? Uh, roughly. I mean, um, it was somewhere around about, I think actually it was high 30s. I don't okay, know if it's over, quite over 40. 70, I was going to say 17 surely isn't enough. No. Scotland, you know, we, so we, even if, so so this, so 17 with what do you say, a less than a 400 majority. 4,000. 4,000, 4, 4, sorry, yeah. to Labour. Yeah. So, yeah. so as I said, I, I, I don't claim to be an expert on Scottish politics, but I, when I was down in Tiverton and Honiton, I did spend quite a lot of time with Christine Jardine because, um, I, I gave her quite a few lifts and, and obviously so we, we were chatting a lot and Christine is, of course, knows something about Scottish politics. And what she was telling me was something that I hadn't realised. And so some of our listeners might not know either, which is that in Scotland, in all of the Scottish seats, people either vote SNP or they vote for the party that can beat the SNP. Mm-hmm. And so, so, we, so Eastern Bartonshire, obviously where Joe lost last time, isn't going to go Labour because people will either vote SNP and the SNP will hold it or the we don't want the SNP vote will coalesce behind the Liberal Democrats and we will take it back. And so whereas those votes don't transfer in the same way. So there's a lot of talk in the Progressive Alliance. We've talked about this a lot about the anti-Tory vote. That anti-Tory vote doesn't coalesce in England Whereas it sounds, from what Christine was saying, like the anti-SNP vote does coalesce. 
that, yeah, that, Scotland. That there's definitely, I mean, based on, uh, if you remember, John, when we were talking, I, I sent across the map of what the predicting polls were in Scotland. And I think I said, you know, I, I first of all, I can't see them losing Northeast Fife, Wendy's seat. Um, I just, you know, based on the fact that Willie Rennie, who has the majority of that seat in Holyrood, um, got the second largest majority of any MSP. I just cannot see the Liberal Democrats losing that at the next election. Same with Christine's seat. Um, again, Alex Cole Hamilton got the largest majority of any MSP in the whole of the Scottish Parliament. Now you are right, Hannah. There is a there is an element of uh, get behind who can beat the SNP. Now I could see Labour taking, I would think, about ten seats at this moment in time across the west coast of Scotland in the Central Belt. Um, that's everywhere from where I'm from in, in Greenock and Inverclyde, which is currently predicting that would switch over. Uh, Ronnie Cowan, who's uh, the SNP MP, who's been absolutely hopeless, and they won't even give him a front bench job, which tells you what they think about him. <laughs> um, uh, and, uh, um, so they, um, uh, I could see them taking a, about 10 seats across there, all the way through the central belt over to sort of Ian Murray's seat in Edinburgh. Um, you are right, that's not enough. So they need to make more gains. But there is an element of, so at the last elections at the Scottish Parliament, there were serious questions being asked about why Conservative voters and seats where Labour could have beat the SNP were still voting in a majority for the Conservatives. Um, now, Daniel Johnson, for instance, uh, has seat, there was something like 10k Tories that still voted for, for the Tories and people were kind of like mystified as to why they'd go and do that. So I think there's still an element of would Tories who want Liz Truss lend their vote because they know they would then get Keir Starmer. So there's there's multiple elements to it that kind of come into that thinking. Now, the SNP uh, <laughs> have, uh, have obviously are very worried about the prospect of a Labour government because it doesn't help them, because their whole uh, ethos is that, you know, look at what we get. We get a Conservative government every time and we don't vote for it. And if Labour gain seats in Scotland and they get a Labour government, then that completely takes away that argument of we don't get governments that we vote for. Mm. Um, and if you, the thing that made me laugh the other day there was uh, Alba, who is basically just they're funneling money into trying to help the SNP. They put up a, an advert and it said Scotland can't take this anymore. And it was all these Tories through time. And then just... <laughs> And then just Alistair Darling's face and <laughs> amongst them, right? And I was like, oh, you're still really better about 2014, aren't you, Alex? It's like, that's, that's really stuck in your craw there, mate. Um, so they're, they're, trying, they're trying their best to lump all parties who aren't the SNP into one group. Mm-hmm. And, and I, think, um, I think Alex Cole Hamilton's done a really good job of um, really setting out what uh, Scottish Lib Dems are about. Similarly, Anas Sawar has taken Scottish Labour away, away, away from that Corbyn element um, and has made them, um, in my opinion, electable. Again, he's, he's a likeable guy. He's, he's very charismatic. He's very much in that kind of Tony Blair ilk. Um, you know, he's, he's from that generation. Um, and- I think, the sorry, just to think, I think the biggest asset to uh, the SNP was Boris Johnson. And, and and the idea that we were going to get stuck with a Boris Johnson kind of government for the foreseeable future. And that's their, that's their kit. If Labour now look, even like you were saying, have even a chance of forming a government, whether in minority or majority, that takes away the Scottish nationalists' biggest weapon. You know, you're stuck with these bloody Tories. And if they're not, then suddenly they're in, they're in a, they've got a whole world of hurt that they didn't expect to find. What, and you've also... What are the Scottish Tories on with at, at, at the minute, David? Because I know when um, <laughs> well, I know when what's her name Liz Davidson was leader, she did a really good job of of distancing them from Westminster Tories. Yeah, How, how's that? In going? terms of their, I haven't seen their polling. If I'm honest with you, I've just saw that Labour's obviously up uh, above thirty points. But um, Douglas Ross is really in the last couple of weeks since um, Liz Truss came on board. First of all, he went missing for two weeks and wasn't speaking to the press, so that gives you an indication. And then when he did get in front of the press, he first of all backed uh, the forty-five p, and then when uh, yep, yeah, uh, and then <laughs> welcomed it and actually advocated that. Nicola Sturgeon should be doing the same in Scotland and then backtracked on that as soon as Quasi Quartig announced that they were doing a U-turn on it. So they're all over the place about it at the moment. I think Douglas Ross was kind of handpicked as Ruth Davidson's successor. If you remember, he very much kind of tried to distance himself from Boris Johnson. I think he's now really, he doesn't know what to do because he's got somebody who 
you know, I don't know if you can really use the term worse than Boris Johnson, but I'm struggling to think of anything else, but it's probably worse than Boris Johnson. Um, so now, what does he say? Oh, that doesn't represent Tories because I told you Boris was terrible, but now we've got somebody that's even worse. Um, so he's, he's not really got an argument there anymore. So I think they're on to hiding, to be honest with you. Um, I mean, yeah. at the moment, he's really even looking like he would struggle to hold on to his um, his Westminster seat. So, and, it, and again, we talked about the daftness of those electoral calculuses, uh, where it showed that I think the Tories down to three seats. One of them stupidly said, and two of them within Scotland. So you just think, yeah, I'm, I I wouldn't put too much stock in them. And we haven't talked at all about local factors that do come into to campaign as well. And Hannah was right to say that Lib Dems can't really win without a big base. But you know what? It's very difficult for either of the other parties to properly do something without good local factors helping them as well. But let's move on now to talk about how we deal with this. Okay, so as, as a Lib Dem, we, we generally have two modes of attack. In terms, of we, have, we either switch from the main party, we get people to switch from the main party we're against, so we had a lot of that in Tiverton and Honiton. Moderate Tories co- didn't like Boris Johnson, came across, we got over the line. That was actually probably a bigger chunk of vote we get. And we get that we get that a lot in these suburbs in Preston that, that I fight all the time. And then you get what we call squeezes, where you squeeze a third party, which in most times is, is going to be Labour in a lot of our parliamentary seats as well. Um, and so obviously... A concern for the Lib Dems is, and Hannah alluded to it before, if Lib Dems are feeling very, sorry, if Labour are feeling very buoyant, does that make that squeeze message very difficult? Um, And how we deal with that, and then we'll talk, once we've done with the squeeze message, we'll talk a little bit, but there's a huge opportunity for switching moderate Tories as well. And so and so, so you might think seats where, I mean, we might talk a little bit about Sheffield Hallam or something like that, where we're, we don't have many seats where we're up against Labour, but actually, is there an opportunity to really shift that Tory vote into switching for us? Well, let's talk about squeeze, start with that Labour vote. Now, for me, we have a, a almost like a three-way marginal kind of ward in my in in Preston here that we we are really keen. It's the last of the kind of Tory suburb strongholds, and we are really keen to have a go at it. And so, my advice to the, our candidate there is: you've got to go early and you've got to go hard. You've got to do what we did in North Shropshire was even though we were third place behind Labour we were evidently the main challengers by the effort we were putting in on the ground. And that, for me, as a campaigner, is probably the best way you can get ahead of steam on this and remove it. And so no matter what Labour crow, and they did a lot in North Shropshire, the evidence suggested the Lib Dems were taking it more seriously and more likely to win. Uh, Hannah, what are your thoughts on what we can do about the, a Labour surge and our and affecting our squeeze vote? Yeah, so, so squeeze is just absolutely crucial now for for where for where we for where we're clearly placed so from a parliamentary seat point of view where we're clearly placed as the, as the challengers um I was on a campaign school um in my role as Yorkshire and Humber campaign committee chair last week with Ed Davey and and that was the message that that he had for campaigners in the party squeeze 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 we've got to position ourselves as the challengers and in a lot of our seats, so places like, you know, Cleedal and Hazel Grove, obviously, um, where, you know, where Lisa and, and Tom are, places like uh, Winchester, like Lewis, like Harrogate and Nairsborough, you know, we are in a clear second place. And yes, we can win that by continuing to switch conservative votes, which the conservative poll numbers make easy. But the risk of that rising Labour po- Labour popularity and with that that rising Labour arrogance of, oh, we can win 500 seats, we need to be really, really clear with Labour voters that the way to beat the Conservatives is, is to vote Liberal Democrat. And we saw that worked so, so well in the, you know, those two by-elections in July um, where, where we really targeted and really campaigned hard in Tiverton and Honiton, set ourselves up as, as the challenges, the challenges to um, the Conservatives there. And Labour challenged and beat the Conservatives uh, in Wakefield. And, you know, the conversations that I was having with Labour voters on the doorstep down in, in Devon, where I was campaigning, were you know, we can take two seats from the Conservatives in, in one day. And to some extent, the Labour vote squeezed itself. Yeah. Um, so squeeze is, ab- it's just absolutely crucial. And in terms of wards like your three-way marginal, John, the key, as you say, is to get out there early because yeah. 
you know, we, we know this, we, we campaign all year round, we get out there early, Labour comes swooping in, you know, when postal votes land and go, oh, you know, we're going to win. They never do enough to win, but they do enough just to undo that squeeze and make sure that the Conservatives, you know, nip it basically so yeah get yourselves in there early set yourselves up as the challengers it's easier in places like um like you know the the, the southwest tiverton honiton and and north Shropshire as well there was a bit of a vocal late late local labor contingent but labor voters in those areas you know they they knew they they know they're not stupid they're not stupid yeah yeah they're not stupid you know, they know there is a ceiling and you know they know that if that seat wasn't wasn't labor when tony blair was was at its absolute height of his popularity it isn't gonna go labor now you know obviously the, the challenge is is more in those in those seats where it is more of a three-way marginal and it and it has been so Colne Valley is an example it's not one that we target here because we, we don't quite have the base but that has been Liberal Democrat in in the past um, and has now become a Labour a Labour Tory marginal and if we were to go into that and start campaigning we would have a strong narrative that you know that, that we could win it um, and and that does potentially complicate things but yes yeah, squeeze, squeeze early squeeze hard squeeze often. And David before bringing you on is I can remember uh, after 2015, there was a kind of, and in the run-up to 2017, there was a lot of data the Lib Dems had about, okay, why did some seats hold on? Why did some seats keep, uh, are now growing into 2017? And actually, they, they listed your five key factors that led to election success. So right at the top is voter contacts. You know, then you've got other things such as um, how much direct mail you put out. But actually, in the top five, there was also history of the seat, as Hannah said, and also how well you squeeze, and they were, and that's how that was more than even focus leaflets. Actually, how well you squeeze was a bigger factor on actually producing electoral success. So, David, what about you? How how would you combat in someone in the Midlands where you'd think Labour might be quite uh, quite um, up for it? How would you deal with a squeeze vote in a Lib Dem Tory kind of contest? Well, I think there's um, there's a couple of elements, right? And, and my dad and I have spoke about this at length, by the way, because um, he's uh, he's very pragmatic and he knows that for, in his opinion, for them to get another Labour government, they do need us to perform well against the Tories and seats where we face them. Um, so I think we're almost benefited in the fact that I would hope there's, there's a pragmatic wing that's come back into the Labour Party that realises that there are seats that they cannot win that it benefits if we do take them off the Conservatives and it gives them more of a chance of being able to maybe not form a majority, but they would be the largest party. Um, so I think you're right. There's a couple of things. So um, Labour voters aren't stupid, right, as we've just talked about there, and they know where the party is that is more likely to beat the Conservatives. Now, we talked about 2015, and I think that the, there was a couple of things that really hurt the party in 2015. One of those obviously was you know, the coalition um, had been deemed by voters enough of a success that they put their trust in David Cameron to go again as prime minister. Um, but there was almost an element of, well, if I want David Cameron, I'll just vote for David Cameron and I don't trust Ed Miliband. So why would I vote Lib Dem when I just want the Conservatives? And, you know, the majority of the, the seats that we had fell to Conservative uh, MPs. So I think now the tables have turned slightly and that there's seats where we can definitely win. I, I think in the Midlands, probably the best um, example would be Solihull, um, which is really probably the seat where the Lib Dems have a, a, a level of history um, in the seat. Yeah, Laura Lee Burt. Um, mm -hmm. However, we fell down after 2015. In 2017, we fell down to fourth. The Greens uh, leapfrogged us into that third place. But we've come back now in terms of we won several seats on the council at the last council elections. So I think there's, there's a, a lot of Labour voters in that seat that would be looking and they would go, Solihull and its demographic is quite, you know, predominantly well offish. Um, so there's a, a level of centrist conservative voters there that lent their vote in 2015 to the Tories and have subsequently since. I think will have a real bad taste in their mouth about this government and would probably be looking at an alternative and they're not going to jump to the Labour Party. Yeah. So squeezing that centrist Tory vote and identifying it as your key element to winning that seat. And I think you need to, as we talked about, you need to get out early. You need to speak to people. You need to get a view as to what they're, you know, if you look at obviously the data that we do have, I don't know how big that would be. 
what was their voting patterns for the last three elections? Yeah. And you could probably identify where people maybe have drifted away from us to the Conservatives and you could squeeze them again and get them to come back. And uh, I suppose a good campaigners tip here. So most areas will have had some form of local election in the last year. Get hold of your mark registers. I know it sounds like a right. I know you could say you think so. The whole mark register for Preston Council area is about to have to purchase it and get the the ALDC to do that wonderful digital upload thing so you don't have to do all the faff. It's about 500 quid. But if you are thinking, okay, if these people will vote in a local election, they're definitely going to vote in a general election. And that's a fantastic starting block for you to think, okay, target those voters. Think, what can I do to get those and, and get your campaign going? Particularly if you've had like in Solly Hall, a bit of a rough few years and you're wanting to pick yourself back up. That's an excellent way of doing it. But also, now let's talk a little bit about switch voting. So this is about the Tories, because it was so evident in, in Tiverton and Honiton that the moderate Tories looking for an excuse to not vote Boris Johnson and to give them a bit of a bloody nose. Now, I've been out um, three times this week in fairy, in fairy, <laughs> sorry, I've been out three times this week in fairly strong Tory-ish areas. So there was a retirement complex. There was an area in the um, in the three-way marginal, which is very heavily Tory. And then I've done another patch in a in a more suburby bit, which is again more Tory leaning. The 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 level of disgust, disappointment, and letdown with Tory voters at their own party. And we've talked about uh, previously about Tory voters seeming tired. You know, why do I have to keep listening about this shit from the government? They're, can they not just get themselves together? And all three of my sessions this week, it has been massive. And But for me, those switches are not just going to... Their default is still Tory. Let's not kid ourselves. They're at, if, they, if no one did any campaigning at all, they would stay Tory or not vote. The only way they will come across is by... People like us knocking on their door, delivering that leaflet, and giving them a reason to switch, and that and it's it and it can be really frustrating to people that don't do campaigning. They don't understand. They say, "Well, how can people still vote for this government? How can people still like Liz Truss?" But actually, you've got to give them. They may not like her, but you've got to give them a reason to like you, Hannah. It does come as well. I mean. You know, as, as people know, I, I spent a, a, a couple of weeks as, as Richard Ford's candidate aide in Tiverton and Honiton. So, you know, I, I've spoken to a, a lot of pro proper Tories this year, proper Tories. And and yes, they voted Lib Dem. Yes, I, I'm sure they're very delighted to have Richard Ford as, as, as their new MP. Yes, they really were keen to give give the Tories and, and Johnson a, a bloody nose. But But fundamentally, if it comes down to a general election and those people have the choice of um, a Conservative government, no matter how terrible that Conservative government or a Labour government, they still want a Conservative government. They do not want a Labour government. And, you know, and, and that is, that's a challenge for us going forward. Um, now, I very much don't want Labour to win a majority, um, not because I, I don't want the Tories out, but because we need electoral reform and we need proportional representation. And if Labour win a majority under first past the post, we, we know that the Labour will. I mean, it's going to be a terrible job anyway, getting Labour to support electoral reform, but there is no chance if they win a majority. But the flip of that is that if Labour do not win a majority and need some support from us, um, that will be just as damaging to us in those Tory seats where they don't want us to put Keir Starmer in number 10, as it was to us in Labour-facing seats, when they were cross with us for putting David Cameron in number 10. Yes. So, you know, either way, we, we have a challenge ahead um, and keeping however much some of these real traditional Tory voters that have come to us in those by-elections dislike the current government and don't consider them Conservatives and are not happy with them... Um, they still don't want a Labour government. They they still want a Conservative government. So, you know, there's definitely a challenge for for those campaigners in those seats. 
And David, I remember going back, and we're all we're all a bit too young. Well, maybe not Hannah; she's a little bit older than us. But in in '97, <laughs> she she missed that. She, I, see, I don't have when I don't have Richard <laughs> Kemp to do old jokes. I have to choose Hannah instead. Um, but, I could, I could, I'm not quite I'm not quite old enough to to have voted in '97. I, I okay. Turned, uh, I turned 18 in the October, so I missed that one. Oh, right. But it was interesting because you, you you look at 97 and there was a very much a, a Lib Dem kind of view is, well, a Labour majority is coming in, coming anyway. You've got no risk if you want to vote a Lib Dem in Cornwall or something like that. And it it's interesting that how that worked, Dave, because I suppose depending on where the bot polls stay and if Keir Starmer's improved, I suppose Lib Dems may have to adapt to how they message because... There's no point in ignoring it. Vast majority of this population of this country is kind of centre, centre left, centre side, centre, centre right. I would say is actually the majority of people in Britain, um, and you have to appeal to those people. Blair was brilliant at it. At whatever you think of Blair, and I got into politics because of Blair. Um, he was he, he just gobbled up Tory votes. He gobbled up that soft Tory vote, and whichever way these next two years go. That's Lib- because he was a Tory, John, remember? That's because Whatever happens in these next two years, Lib Dems have to figure out the way of gobbling up as much of that to- moderate Tory vote as possible, David. Mm. Well, I think there's a, look, there's, there's a couple of things. So um, if, if it was me and I was, so for instance, and we talked about um, sort of our seats that we used to have in Cornwall, et cetera, that, you know, fell to the Conservatives that would not want a Labour government. Um, obviously, we were very successful during the term of that Labour government from 97 till 2010 um, and only kind of lost the seats in, in, in 2015. Now, my my conversation with voters there, if they did have concerns about if I vote for you, I get a Labour government, is that, you know, as we've just discussed on this polling, I don't think Labour are in a position to form a majority government. They are never going to be able to work with the Conservatives, I'm not talking about formal coalition, mm. but we can stop the worst of the things that you have concerns about because they will have to come to us to get certain things passed. Now, they don't really have that problem because a lot of people say, oh, well, the SNP, if, if Labour needs them to help them, then they'll just ask for an independence referendum. Labour can easily deal with that by saying, well, if, if you don't vote for the things we put on the table, you're putting a Tory government in, yeah. <laughs> which is what you yeah. tell your voters you don't want. Um, so I don't think I have concerns about that. With us, I think it's a case of, we could put things on the agenda item that would not get a fair hearing if it was a majority Labour government. Um, things like electoral reform, things like... Uh, Europe. Yeah, exactly. Certain things that voters have concerns about that I don't think at this point in time Labour wants to address. So mm. my whole conversation would be you are actually putting in an MP that has a lot more power than a Conservative MP would have in the event of that result. So you might not be in government, but you would have a say at the table to what happens in government. So that, I, I, you know what, David, you, you, you're so good at this. Okay, that is a brilliant, brilliant argument. How do you make it succinct enough that someone who does not give a shit about politics will, will take that in? And that and that's the key that, li- we've talked about this before, Lib Dems have got policy coming out of every whole of us, but... We we're not great at boiling down complicated arguments. Oh, right, Hannah's coming in, David. Watch out. I'd just say, look, you've had a shit MP for years, Conservative MP. Lived <laughs> MP. You have to work you 10 go. times as hard, 10 times as hard as anyone else to even get elected, never mind stay elected. Get a Lived MP. It'll be the hardest working MP you've ever had in your lives. Well, I think you also, you switch it, John. So, like, when you get to that position where you say, like, people don't give a shit about politics, right? People give, the thing that people do give a shit about, and I know we talked about, you're not campaigning to be a local councillor, and that's not what I'm talking about here. But there are certain things you can lean on on your constituency that you can yes. say, see those things that you've been complaining about with hospital waiting times. I could get something done about that because mm. Labour would need my vote. Or, um, you know, I'll take an example of North Shropshire, right? Ambulance waiting times. Mm. I can get a seat at the table to get that on the agenda mm. if you get me in. Your Conservative MP is going to vote down everything that comes along is going to not speak to Labour MPs, is going to just be, you know, there to just be opposition for, you know, donkeys. Um, We can actually get some stuff done for the local area because we've got a bargaining chip to play with. Maybe it's the whole... I mean, it's interesting because I've I've had Labour obviously have the central Preston seat. We've had the same MP for 20-odd years. And this is another argument you use because, being completely fair... 
to the Labour MP for Preston, no one's probably heard of, called Mark Hendrick. I cannot think of a single thing he has done for the city. Genuinely, being fair to him, I just don't, I can't think, what, what was his big campaign? Did he get a new hospital wing open? Did he do such and such? There'll be loads of Labour MPs that are lazy and have sat in safe seats. So if you are a Lib Dem that's facing, and it's the same from, from a councillor to a county seat to whatever, there will be loads of complacent Labour politicians out there that you can gobble up their seats by taking some of that moderate Tory vote, taking disaffected Labour votes that don't that they've taken for granted and beating them. Now, it might be harder because Labour are a bit, but it can absolutely be done. And I think that's... Go on, Hannah. Yeah, and I, and I think it's important as well. Again, I just want to pass on one of the messages that, that Ed Davies said to us on this this uh, campaign chair call last last uh, last week, which is that we are going to have to target brutally at the next at the next general election. Yeah, like really really brutally. We we overstretched last time. Um, I mean, I've always said that. Um, you know, my seat. Someone was looking at the red, wrong spreadsheet when they put my seat on the target on the target list. <laughs> <laughs> you have a thing, because why, why wouldn't you no thanks I don't I don't want to do that so we are going to have to target absolutely brutally and, and when you know when it comes down to the general election short campaign you know I, I I will be spending my general election in Cheadle you know trying to get Tom Morrison elected that's a you know that's a that's a promise I've already made to him um and it's really important that that is people's focus however what Ed also said was that the reason we are in such a good position now is because while the number of MPs we came out with last time was a little bit dire, we did come out with some really, really strong second places. Yeah. And between now and the next general election, you know, if you are work, if you are working in a seat where, okay, you, it's not going to be on the target list for the next general election because everywhere cannot be on the target list for the next general election. Otherwise, we will overstretch and we will come away with nothing. And that would be, you know, ridiculous. If we come away with 20 MPs at the next general election, we we have done brilliantly. But what Ed also wants to see is, is people teeing up seats yeah. to put us in second place so that, you know, so that over the two, three general election cycle, you know, we're there. And... Yes, we are primarily going up against the Tories at the moment. That's, you know, we are, that's where we're best placed is to take votes from Tories. And, you know, I think we're all in Labour facing areas, aren't we? And it's, it's, it is tough, you know, it's tough at the minute in Labour facing areas, but we can still continue to fight them and to be opposition to Labour and, and to get ourselves in a good place. And when you look at seats like Sheffield Hallam, which I think is our only Labour facing seat, um, well, we've all got a Tory MP now, David. You know, it doesn't, doesn't, mean, it doesn't mean it's not still a Labour area. Um, it, you know, if we look at seats like Sheffield Hallam, where um, we are, I think, only 700-ish votes behind Labour, you know, there is there is still a, a message and there is still a route to winning those seats, but it's not by switching Labour votes. You know, if, if, if you live in... If you live in Crooks in Sheffield Hallam and Olivia Blake's your MP and she's not, you know, manifestly awful and fundamentally you want the Tories out and you want Keir Starmer to be prime minister, you're not you're not going to switch your vote from Labour to the Liberal Democrats. You know, that that's just not going to happen. And actually the reality in that kind of seat is that the Labour vote is going to move away from us and people that voted Liberal Democrat last time will vote Labour. However, there are 17,000 Conservative votes. Yeah. in that seat yeah and so we're coming right back to the question of squeeze which is you know those people don't want a Labour MP they've got a Labour MP they don't want a Labour MP they're not going to get a Conservative MP if we work hard enough on squeezing those Conservative votes and and you know and we we know we can get moderate Tories to vote for us because it's what we do in every other seat in the country. So, you know, there is still a route to winning those seats. Um, but it's about, again, it is about talking more to the Tories than about talking to, to, to those Labour voters because they're just not going to switch their vote to us at the moment. And, and Hannah's absolutely spot on, you know. So I have got a kind of an 11-year plan in my head for where I kind of think I want to try and get Preston to be with favourable boundary changes if they happen next year and things like that. But my my goal for next election, I'll be in Cheadle. If I'm going to Cheadle today, 
I'm dropping off the in-laws at Manchester Airport. I'm going to go then do a couple of hours delivery to help Tom out because that's the best thing I can do for the Lib Dems from a parliamentary point of view right now. And that's what. And if you're not doing that, because again, we've talked about loads, money, manpower and data, the things that need to get. And if you can add a little bit of manpower, even if it's just an, a couple of hours a month to a target seat, that will really make a difference. And I re- recommend all those people to it. Now, we've talked for a good long while, and I'm going to let these two go in a second. But one thing I did notice while I was canvassing this week was actually there's a definite feel there's a general election coming. I actually had people, because I... I I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a right Lib Dem idiot in the fact that I always have a branded Lib Dem bag. I actually, I've even put a rosette on the inside of my bag so you can see the yellow thing flopping around. So it's it's advertising. You know what? People see it's advertising. And I had quite a few people saying to me, good luck. I mean, there's no, there's no election coming up. They're already wishing me good luck for whatever election this is that I'm thinking. But what also came up is people asking general election-esque questions of me and for some new Lib Dems that might be quite nervous because I mean us three have been parliamentary candidates before we've had we've had we're quite you know we're quite sensible we we know quite a bit about policy as much as Hannah claims she doesn't she does um and so we we know that you have to when you're a general election candidate you've got to have a pretty much a good clue on lots of different things so this week I had people stop me and ask me about Palestine they asked me about the EU, and they asked me about abortion. So these are the kind, and you might be thinking as a, a newish kind of campaigner, oh my, how, what, I, what if I don't know about any of these things that come up? They could ask me about manufacturing of cars in the Midlands or whatever. Our same rules apply. Don't blag it. Yeah, ask them what they think of an issue. It's never, it's never a bad thing to let them be the driver of a conversation and you can just listen. Um but also, you will get to grips with some of these topics that come in as they as they happen. As a counsellor, you get asked questions on everything. You know, I had this one guy absolutely raging at me that they had moved from concrete to to steel streetlights. It was something he cared passionately about. I didn't know what to say to him at first, but I went out mm-hmm. and found out. And you get back to him. Uh, so, David, you know, what is your advice to someone who? is campaigning and is worried they're going to get a question on a national issue they just don't know enough about or anything about. Look, let's be honest. We've all been on the doorstep and had a question asked that we don't know the answer to or, you know, have have been very uncertain about what the answer would be. I mean, I've had people ask me very in-depth questions about, you know, pensions um, mm. that I I would struggle to answer because I'm not at the coalface of on a, on a daily basis. I think most people are accepting of the fact if you're an activist. I mean, I, I think when it comes to the candidate, they would expect a level of competence from the, the questions. But when you're an activist, I think most people are generally accepting of you will not have all the answers, but you're there to listen to what they want to talk about. And you can always just reply with it. Look, I'll go and have a word with the candidate or your local councillor and let me come back to you with a bit more information. And I think people generally appreciate that because the majority of the time on the doorstep, people want you to listen to them as opposed to bombard them with a ton of stuff that you want to talk about. So, um, yeah, I I would say to anybody that maybe has concerns, just get out, listen to what people have concerns about that they want to talk about, make sure you're taking notes so that it can be addressed and just get back to them. And I think actually it's the getting back to people that really wins people around to you. Because the majority of the time, people think, oh, I'll never see them again. And if you come back to them with a serious answer, they'll go, oh, okay, okay, well, maybe there's something I should be listening to here. And I know a wonderful added benefit of what you've just said, David, is that if you get their details to get back to them, then that's another email address you have. It helps with your data collection. It's These things are are all beneficial, aren't they, Hannah? Yeah, and obviously, you know, someone, we have to be obviously really careful with how we collect data, but, you know, if someone you know someone's given you're, you're compliant there someone's given you permission and and I think you know I, I've got a few people in my team who'll just go I'm just a deliverer mate I'm just a deliverer Hannah's contact details are on that leaflet you know <laughs> get, get, get into it for the directly and you know and 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 that's you know that's a that's a reasonable response you know to be perfectly honest if you're if you're not comfortable with answering that kind of question and you're getting accosted on the doorstep and the leaflets you're putting through people's doors have the relevant people's contact details on, which they always should, uh, of course. You know, you don't feel you have to get dragged into conversations that, that you don't want to have. And it, to be honest, it, it it only ever really phases me if I'm out 
delivering somewhere where I don't where I don't know the patch so on my you know on, on when I'm delivering locally you know get asked more questions than that then I manage to deliver leaflets usually but if I'm out somewhere where I really don't and someone asks me a question you know I'll say look I'm I'm actually not local you know I've, I've just traveled over to help such a person um yeah as you say you know let me take your contact details and I can get back to you you know unless you are the counsellor even as the counsellor you don't have to have all the answers you know I I don't um but yeah don't be afraid to deflect or, or let people know don't ever let that put you off getting out on the doorsteps Absolutely. And if you've got any more questions before David's got to go, he's got baby duties. Go have, have well, I just make one quick point, John, that I think oh. is quite important. Go on, and, that is, and, I, and I have to say that, you know, if we are on the crux of a potential general election, I'm, I'm not 100% sure on that yet, but there's also a potential that eight Tory facing seats could come up for by-elections if Boris mm. Johnson's resignation honours list are what they say is if you have not selected a PPC yet and you're in a Lib Dem Tory facing seat, get it done and give the candidate enough time to get their message known and their face known because it's it's that's such a benefit. Yeah, and to all the... I see David just cues it up so perfectly. We do have more of our uh, target election candidate interviews coming up. We've got Tom Morrison's coming up who got COVID, so that's been postponed. But we've got people from Lewis and Harpen and Hitchiton, all these people that are, are, look like they're going to be the people that might be our next MP. So do make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Where If you listen to us, make sure you register. And also, if you go onto our YouTube, all this stuff is videoed so you can see our beautiful faces ev- for every single episode. So do subscribe to us on the podcast and and thank you very much for listening i mean answer the question do you think labor will get a majority that's how we started that's how we'll finish it's it's a really interesting time in politics and we'll see where this lands but thank you to hannah thank you to david as always um brilliant episode we'll be back with more episodes coming up subscribe to the podcast make sure you follow us on social media and we'll see you next time